scripture today, we've been working our way through, uh, we've been using the Book of Common Prayer and the church calendar uh, as kind of a guide through what we're going to be studying each week we gather here. And um, I know Starbucks says it's fall, but it's still summer. Um, the pumpkin spice latte, I don't know why anybody would put pumpkin in coffee. That's just like a, that's, it's got to be in scripture somewhere. There's sin. Where is it? It's got to be in the Old Testament. Let's go get Leviticus. It's got to be in there. You don't put pumpkin in coffee. Um, it's like wearing uh, woven materials, cotton and polyester. You don't do that either, according to Leviticus. So um, James chapter 1, we're going to read verses. We're going to start with 17 and 18. We're going to work our way through, if, if you've read James before, this is one of the more popular passages. Um, and if you don't know who James is, really interesting backstory to James is that he was Jesus' brother. He thought... Jesus was a fraud, and he didn't become a Christian until after the resurrection. So this whole time, the whole Jesus' whole life, he was embarrassed by him, didn't want anything to do with him, thought he was a, a lunatic. And then the death and the resurrection happened, and all of a sudden James is, uh, ends, ends up dying, ends up being um, murdered because of his faith in Christ, writes a book of the Bible. So he's got a fascinating story, big change of events here. So he's got some wisdom to share. So we're just going to kind of let him speak to us this morning. Verses 17 and 18, chapter 1. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So the gifts, uh, I've read this a lot. Um, and it's not like, I, you know, when you read scripture, there's so many textures and layers to it. It, it doesn't, st- you know, different things stick out each time. And something that stuck out to me this time uh, when I read this, because uh, Carrie talk, told me about this last night, and it, it, it's, it's a habit of mine as well, is that when you read scripture, or when I'm reading it, I'm not thinking like, how can I use this to tell other people what to do? That is not how you read the Bible. Some people read it that way. It's not a good way to read it. Uh, it's a story about Christ, and it's speaking to to me and to us. And so it's every time that I, I read to prepare to teach something, it is very convicting for me as well. In fact, there's a lot of times I read stuff, and I'm like, I wish I hadn't seen that because it's convicting. Uh, and it's like, how am I supposed to teach on this if I'm not living it or if I'm not practicing it? So something that really kind of punched me in the face when I was reading this was uh, the gifts James speaks of here that are good and perfect they're all related to truth he talks about that that's what he's referring to when he's talking about the gifts they receive if you trace that back to the origin he's saying it's truth it's all related to that so you've heard this phrase being born again it's being co-opted and it kind of has this cheesy surface level meaning I think sometimes but when we actually get into the texture of it, it's a really beautiful uh, metaphor as to what it's like to follow Christ. Because James is saying being born is being, um, you're being discovered. All right? That's what, you know, think of the literal birth of a child. You're being discovered by the world, by your parents, by the doctors and the nurses who are in the room. So being born is being discovered by others, and you get to discover the world. So what James is saying is like, hey, when you're born again, you're, it's like being born, but you're discovering who God is. So there is the world, and there is this alternative reality that Jesus is trying to uh, invite us into. 
that it's becoming more and more real. You know, we, we use the phrase heaven to earth. That's happening more and more the more that we follow Christ. So being born, uh, receiving truth, the, the good and perfect gifts that Christ gives us is discovering who God is, discovering what he's doing in the world and in other people's lives. So it's a Trinitarian blessing to be born through truth. So truth, the Greek understanding, the Western understanding of, of truth is very static. It's very black and white. Uh, it causes a lot of arguments and it's because it's a faulty understanding of truth. Truth is not necessarily black and white. There are gray. There is tension. Uh, the Jewish understanding of truth is that truth is constantly unfolding. That is the Eastern viewpoint of truth, and Jesus was a Jewish Eastern man. So when we're talking, when we're reading scripture, we have to read it through that, the Eastern eyes and not the Western eyes. So truth is unfolding constantly. We are on a continual path of discovery. There is no arrival point in our faith. All right, there, there's no like, okay, I get it now. I figured it all out. It just doesn't work that way. And for some reason, so we're talking about truth. This made me think about the lies that we have come to believe individually. So I don't really want to highlight any specific cultural examples of lies. I'd really like us to personalize this. Um, what lies, ask yourself this question, what lies am I believing? And remember the reason that we believe them is that lies look, feel, and sound true. If they didn't sound true, we wouldn't believe them or we wouldn't live off of them. But they look, feel, and sound true. And our reactions and our decisions and our habits can be based off of these lies that feel good because lies, at, fir at least at first, they feel good. Um, so, for example, like my birthday, uh, I love chocolate. Like chocolate baked goods are like my kryptonite. So if you want to see me go weak and have absolutely no self-control, put baked chocolate goods in front of me and, and watch me pig out. Carrie made me a chocolate cake <clears throat> for my birthday. And then we also went to my favorite Italian restaurant. So I had chocolate cake, and then we went to an Italian restaurant and had tons of homemade pasta, and then I had more chocolate cake. The Ten weeks prior to this day, <clears throat> I had eaten very little sugar and carbs. I was eating very healthy. And that night at like 11 p.m., my body revolted against what I had just done to it. It was it, nothing like external happened, I just felt horrible. Absolutely terrible. I had a horrible headache. I felt, it was a really terrible feeling. The whole next day, I felt hungover. That's how it felt. I didn't drink any at all that night. I just had a lot of chocolate and pasta. And uh, it did not, it did not go well. My body was really angry at me. It felt like I was dying. Um, because there are, chocolate and pasta taste good. They really do taste good but they have physical consequences. All right, it's the same thing. Lies taste good. They feel good. They sound true, but there are consequences to living off of those lies. And it may not play out for a while. You may live off the lie for decades before you realize, whoa, that's a lie. I mean, I can think back to things that I bet you could too. If we say I closed our eyes and contemplated our childhood, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. Think about When's the first time you ever felt marginalized as a kid, picked on? What's the lie that you, became to that you came to believe from that? And if it happened over and over again, it's going to make a permanent impact because of how sensitive we are as children. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lie that we live off of, that we could live off of forever, for our entire lives, if we don't 
receive this gift of truth, <clears throat> of this alternative reality that Jesus is inviting us into and he's trying to communicate to us, not only uh, in, with humanity, but um, individually. He wants restoration. He wants wholeness. He wants us to live off of the truth and not off the lies. Because if we live off the lies, there are consequences to it. It's a slow Maybe it's not slow. Sometimes it's not, but it feels slow to me when I'm living off a lie. It's a slow descent into a dark emotional and spiritual mental place, uh, which leads me to another giveaway that we might be living off of a lie. Lies typically make us think of ourselves first and others and God second. So if you're completely self-absorbed and just kind of trapped in your own head, that is a good indication that you're living a lie, that you have shifted uh, the truth. So and I can speak to this with authority because this is where I've spent a lot of my time lately in my own head. Um, you would think it feels good to think about yourself a lot and put your needs first. It doesn't. Uh, it's an emotionally and spiritually crippling place to live, putting myself first. And so this is the, tr- the alternative to that. Jesus talks about this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 22. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he says, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. You, you still love yourself. You don't hate yourself. But notice the order that he put things in. And Jesus doesn't make, at, make mistakes or do things flippantly. There's an order. There's a purpose to that. So the truth according to Christ is that he remi- and he reminds us later that the truth shall set us free. He's referring to this. The truth is that God is first, others are second, I am third. And everything starts to fall into place when we actually believe that and live off of that truth. So the lie is the reverse of that. I'm putting myself first and everybody else second. Um, so where would you put yourself right now? Personalize that. I'm going to ask everybody to raise their hand, so I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But um, maybe, you're in, maybe you're in the right spot. Maybe you're third. Maybe you're locked in right now, and you're in a really good place. Uh, you're living out um, the truth of what Jesus said there. If you are, take advantage of that and identify what you're doing that is keeping you there. Like what are the spiritual disciplines or practices or habits that you have formed that are healthy that are keeping you in that zone? So that way, if you fall out of it, and you will, you can recognize some of those tendencies. If you're not, back to my original question, what are the lies that you're believing? If you've put yourself first, if you're just kind of in your own head right now, um, what what are you feeding off of? What are you living off of right now? That's not true. Um, Because it's probably... Uh, it's something that James is inviting us to shift and to, to realize through his, his wisdom here. So um, he's got some wisdom to share there. I mean, James would know about shifting. We talked about, I mean, he's, he's a guy that did a complete 180, believing Jesus was a fraud to believing Jesus was the king. It's a big change. Lies need to be replaced by truth, and this is a constant, never-ending journey. The more we are willing to discover truth, James says, he talks about first fruits, the more fruitful our lives will be. Like you will be, okay, so my favorite fruit is our peaches. And Drew has been hooking me up with some peaches this summer. Um, I had like 15 peaches on vacation. 
just kept eating them. And in the summertime, they're incredible because they're so juicy. Um, and I think it's such a great metaphor that the fruit of like biting into an unbelievable piece of fruit, like that's, we have the opportunity to be that way towards others. Like when people interact with us or have a relationship or friendship with us or maybe just like some sort of a workplace, you know, maybe even just a short interaction with a neighbor, you're going to taste juicy. Like the interaction, people are going to notice um, when you're fruitful and when you're living in that zone of God, others, myself. All right, so let's continue. Verses uh, 19. I'm going to read verses. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 19. I don't know where this ends, but I'm going to put it on screen. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil <clears throat> that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So when James refers to the word there, he's like, accept the word. The word that he's referencing here, it's Jesus. All right, the word is, uh, is a synonym of Christ throughout the New Testament. So, all right, so this is like what James claims here, and it's repeated in multiple other places in the New Testament. This is what makes our faith so bold and shocking as Christians. All right, I'm wondering if that is that noise is bothering me. I wonder if it's because I'm sitting right under that speaker. I'm going to move a little bit. Um, so as Christians, we believe that truth resides in Christ. Anything, this is our claim, anything that the world has come to know as true is because of Jesus. It has sprung out of him. That's what we believe. He is, as scripture says, the alpha and the omega, the word, the beginning and the end. <clears throat> Here's what John writes uh, at the beginning of his biography. In John chapter 1, he describes Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, <clears throat> and that life was the light of all humankind. We need to grasp the importance and the power of this belief that truth resides in Christ alone. Um, fumble. It's so controversial in our world because uh, it's so critical. The reason that that statement, that saying that Jesus is truth, he is the, the, the living, breathing definition of it, and nothing, no truth comes from anywhere, th anywhere else other than him, the reason that that statement and that belief is so controversial is because it's so critical to humankind. The reason people push back on it, <clears throat> and I believe there are spiritual forces that do that, it's because we need to know this truth. It is life-giving. It is fruitful. Goodness, you know, joy, hope, love, everything that is good comes, goes back to believing this truth. The core tenet of our faith is that Jesus is king and there are no other equals. And I, I have a lot of uh, progressive Christian friends, um, and that's my biggest disagreement with progressive Christianity, um, there's, no, there's no other equal other than Christ. Like that, our entire faith hinges on that. And you can call it crazy. Like that's, that's crazy. That's fine. But that's our claim. That's what we believe. Um, <clears throat> and it causes tension. If it's not what you believe, I would encourage you to pursue the doubt and the questions you have. Like investigate it. 
lean into the tension of the doubts that you have about God and the questions you have about him. Um, it can be a really powerful journey of discovery. And I, and I would encourage you in this fishbowl, again, that we live in, uh, don't assume most Christians are like the lunatic, fundamentalist, legalist fringe that you see in the news, like the Jim Bakers and the, uh, the guy, the, the, the big, like the gung-ho Trump supporters, like that, those guys. I don't know. I'm not going to speak to their faith but I know that they are not representing Christ well. So I wouldn't use them as a barometer for if Christians have actually investigated this claim that Jesus is king and that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. Because most Christians have not done that uh, with any naivety. Like we have not been spoon-fed, spoon-fed what we believe. It's usually quite the contrary. Most of us have doubted uh, and questioned God deeply to the point of not wanting to believe in him. Because it, I've done that and still do that. Um, I've read Nietzsche, Ayn Rand, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawking. I've read those guys. I know what the view is. And uh, I didn't arrive at my conclusion of Jesus being the Messiah through <clears throat> like not searching for truth. I've actually read and studied and continue to look at those different angles and I, I've found them wanting. Um, I have reluctantly pursued truth because uh, sometimes, I, like I said, I open up the Bible and I'm like, I don't really want to hear from God right now. I want to put me first and him somewhere else, some second, third. Um, that happens. Uh, but it's through these like fires of doubt and questioning that I've become, and most of us have become captivated by the truth that Jesus talks about that he claims and that James is talking about in this section that even through these tough seasons it's a truth that we can't unknow like once you believe it it's kind of like you can't unsee it you think about those moments where you're like I can't unsee that whether it's good or bad you know maybe it's a terrible movie you saw and you're like I wish I had the last two hours of my life back I can't unsee that um once once we believe this you can't we can't unsee it so investigate. If you have doubts and questions about God and Christ, lean into the tension. Uh, get a little, get some, get some scholarship on. You know, do some reading, some studying. Look at all the different viewpoints because you can't arrive. This, this is one of the flaws, the deep flaws of postmodernism is that people think they can arrive at truth individually. Give me a break. You can't ri- arrive at truth individually? That's not possible. That's a terrible philosophy to live by. You arrive at truth communally through dialogue, through submitting to other people and to listening to their voices, um, which brings me to the next point that James talks about here. Um, he said, just going back to what he said there, he's like, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's a critical part of receiving truth is to, to rediscover the art of listening. And if you aren't a listener... You won't be able to rid yourself of this moral filth and evil that, G- that James is talking about. God is trying to plant something in each of us to save us, to free us, to restore us, to make you something different. And if we aren't willing to listen to others, we're not going to arrive. We're not going to be fruitful. That metamorphosis that James is saying can happen, it can only be reached through listening. You don't arrive at truth on your own. All right, so let's continue with the last section of Scripture here. 
verses 22 through 25. It'll be on the screen. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect law is Jesus, uh, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James takes it up another notch here. He's like, hey, listen to the word, word, receive it, and now do what it says. The reception of truth must lead to action. So James is saying if you're not living a life of truth-related action, you will forget who you are. Your true identity in Christ will start to blur. You will, you will not recognize yourself anymore if we're not responding through action. So um, personalize the, the, you know, what, what lies have you come to believe? Have I come to believe? Because I've been thinking about that. How are you living off of them? What's the, what's the truth? Like ask God, what's the, if this is the lie that I believe, or maybe you like, I, this is what I believe and I think it's true, but can you tell me if it's not? And if he reveals this is a lie, what's the alternative? What's the truth? And then you ask yourself, okay, what am I going to do about that? Like how, how do I respond through action? May I, may I offer a few suggestions that are, <laughs> that are I, d- I don't know. Um, this is more of a communal s- suggestion because I don't know, you know, your individual personalization here. But the first thing that I would encourage slash pressure you to consider is going on the refugee trip in December. It's a perfect opportunity for action. All right, you want to, yeah, very subtle, right? Um, If you want to remove yourself from first and put God and others above yourself, that's a pretty powerful move. Like, I'm going to take vacation time. I'm going to actually ask people for money, which makes, doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it makes most people uncomfortable. I'm going to enter into relationship with people I've never met who are vastly different from me culturally, spiritually, religiously. That's, that's truth-related action. Um, and anybody can do it. Uh, we've taken, people have gone on this trip from all walks of, of different faith. All right, Christians and non-Christians have gone on this trip, <clears throat> and it's a powerful move. It's a bold move, so go. Um, the second thing, it's a little bit less pressure, or a little, maybe a little bit more, you might, you might say realistic. I wouldn't say that, but um, going forward in our church, and we're going to talk a lot about this this fall, what James talks about here only happens in community. Again, it does not happen... Uh, our faith is not like a you and God thing and that's it. Like that's not how our faith works. It is a communal faith. So going forward and restore, we're continually putting more uh, eggs in the relational basket, in the community basket. Um, If you're not heavily involved in a missional community, whether it's here at Restore or some other faith community, um, your reception of truth will hit a wall. It's going to you're, you're going to be, you're going to hit a ceiling of growth. <clears throat> um, you can only go so far on your own. There's got to, you have to have a community um, with you um, to, to continue the movement of the receiving of truth and the action 
uh, that responds to that. And then finally, most, most people in, in our church are pretty active in missional community. Um, if you're in an MC, <clears throat> um, if you haven't noticed already, it's not, it's not, uh, I'm trying to think, There's my kids are in the room, so I'm trying to think of a, a word. It, it's not glamorous. All right, it's kind of a grind to be in intimate community with other people. Um, you know, it's like, it's like a, f- a first date. Uh, you go out on our first date with someone you think might be, you know, some like, ooh, I think this could be a, a girl I marry. This could be a guy I marry. That's pretty exciting. All right, but it takes effort to continue that excitement. Like, you, you can't, the, the pursuit of my wife's heart and vice versa, that never ends. It is this constant, we're constantly still going on dates and, and discovering and experimenting and, and trying to figure out how do we continue to know each other at a more intimate level. And that's what missional community is on a communal level. It's like there's no arrival point. Like you may feel like a year in to a relationship uh, in, in a Christian community, you're like, oh, man, I feel really comfortable. Well, you're not, you can't stay there. All right. Con- God is constantly trying to draw us deeper through the community uh, into more powerful truth and into it's going to make it's going to be uncomfortable and so living in life-changing community uh, it is a slow burn a slow journey deeper into the kingdom and you're going to have ups and downs where your communal your community life is going to be like going really well and then you're going to have other seasons where you're like okay why am I friends with these people again (laughs) you might actually think that I haven't thought that, but you might, you know, you, that might actually happen. Uh, but man, being committed to that and being faithful, that is a big part of our faith and God revealing truth to us and pulling us into truth-related action. So let's pray together.